Hello, this is Gurinder Chadder and you're listening to Girls on Film. Welcome to episode 19 of Girls on Film. My name's Anna Smith and this is a Blinded by the Light special. We'll be hearing from the director Gurinder Chada very soon. Meantime, I'm joined by the critic Kim Taylor Foster, who's entertainment editor at Fandom. Hello, Kim. Hello, Anna. So nice to have you on Girls on Film. It's good to be here. Tell us more about Fandom. Fandom um, is something that grew out of Wikia and it's essentially a huge encyclopedia which we've uh, now editorialised. So we talk about all the things that people are really passionate about. We write stories around a lot of Marvel content. We write a lot of Star Wars content. But anything that people are passionate about and there's a wiki for, we, we cover. Excellent. And you've just been to San Diego, am I right? I have, yeah. I've been to Comic-Con, so... One of the major panels at Comic-Con was uh, the Marvel Studios panel, which we did not expect the sheer amount of announcements that they made. We were expecting a little bit of Eternals commentary and a little bit of um, Black Widow commentary, but they've announced their entire Phase 4 slate. So, With lots of amazing female-led films, right? Uh, yeah, and directors as well. We've got a couple of films coming up where uh, there's a woman... Um, Taking the reins on her own, so I'm excited about that. About time to. And a female Thor. Brilliant. Love it. Go, Natalie Portman. Love it. Thanks, Kim. So, Blinded by the Light has no superheroes in it. It is quite a different beast. It is a British musical comedy set in 1987. It's about a British Pakistani teen who discovers a love of Bruce Springsteen. It stars newcomer Vivek Kalra as Javed. It's based on the memoir by Springsteen fanatic Safraz Manzoor. Cold War rages on. Reagan and Thatcher are still number one. But I'm stuck in Luton. No fun, freedom or future. Javid writes all the time. He's never had a girlfriend before. So against your religion. So Gurinda Chadha, welcome to Girls on Film. Thank you. Good to be here. So glad to have you on. Congrats for Blinded by the Light, which I loved. Thank you. I'm a Bruce Springsteen fan. Oh, good. <laughs> um, so I especially loved it. I don't think it's a requirement, but I think it helps. Yeah. Now, you're a fan as well. And yes. of course, you know Safras Manzor yes. as well. But how did you manage to get Bruce Springsteen to give his permission to make this film? Well, I think it was um, the fact that he'd read Safras's memoir. And I think the way that Safras and I just sort of accosted him on the red carpet. <laughs> uh, he was in London for the premiere of uh, his movie, The Promise. And I'd read Safraz's memoir and I said, the only way this film is going to happen is if Bruce is involved and Bruce gives us his blessing. Otherwise, there's no movie. And so lucky for us, this premiere was going to happen. I was invited. I took Safraz with me and we both stood on the carpet and a miracle happened as Bruce came by he recognised Safraz from all the shows where he'd seen him and been at the front. Because he's a mega fan and goes to all the mega shows. Mega fan. Right? Go, yeah, not yeah. only goes to all the concerts, he hangs around outside hotels and wow. cars trying to get pictures. So he knew him from that. <laughs> and lucky for us he did because he walked over and he said, hey man, I read your book. It's really beautiful. And Safraz had a meltdown. <laughs> And was like, oh, my God, how did you read it? How did you get it? Who sent it to you? All this. And I said, 
at that point in my head, I was excited, but I thought, right, this is it. I've got to do a movie deal right now here on the carpet before I lose him. And I just sort of blurted it all out in one go. Just said, hi, Bruce, I'm Corinda Chatter. <laughs> I made Benderlight Beckham. He said, yeah, I heard about that movie. And I said, I'm so glad you like the book. We want to make a film of it. We need your support. Will you support us? And he looked at us both and said, sounds good. Talk to John. And that was it. John Lando's manager was behind him. And uh, we kept in touch. And oh, Sounds it. good. How did those two words feel? Yeah, amazing. So tell me about the boss. Bruce is the direct line to all this true in this world. Seriously. Huh? What does he know about our world? And then we worked hard on the script and then sent him the script. And he came back and Tracy Nurse, his manager at Sony, um, said, oh, he's read the script. And I said, oh, my God, what did he say? What did he say? What do you think of the characters? What did you think of the, the world? And um, she said, he said... Um, I'm all good with this. And I was like, okay, so what does that mean? And she said, he's saying, I'm all good with this. So I'm like, so does that mean I can have the songs for the movie and make the movie? And she said, he said, I'm all good with this. That means he's going to support you. You better go make your movie. What do you want? A show that plays only Bruce Springsteen. Huh? Nothing but Springsteen. <laughs> That's your idea. Bruce has a lot to say to students in this college. How will they know there's something better out there if they don't hear it? What were the challenges of bringing this to the big screen? Well, the challenge for me as a director on it, I mean, obviously I wrote the script as well with Safraz, and, and Safraz had a lot of great detail, but he's not a screenplay writer. So I had a lot of work to do on, this, on the structure, um, uh, structuring a screenplay. But it is essentially a film about writing and words. and the task was to make that cinematic and also I wanted to tell obviously the story of Javid and his conflict with his family which I had already done you know covered that ground in previous work including Bender Light Beckham but I also had to have the massive responsibility of in having permission to use Bruce's songs directing a movie that lived up to the legacy of Bruce, you know, because the last thing I wanted was Bruce to watch it and go, damn, is that what they did with Born to Run? You know, like, I had a lot of pressure there. But I also knew there'd be people watching who were not Bruce fans, so I had to make a movie for them. Look at the calendar over there, the cutting crew one. Can you see what year it is? It's 1987. My job is to play music that the students will connect to. Yeah, that means bros. That means curiosity. And yes, that even means Debbie Gibson. But Springsteen, he's more what your dad listens to. I'd finished Viceroy's house and I was deciding what movie to do next. And I had a bit of reticence about Blinded by the Light because it covered the same ground as Bender Light Beckham in places. So I wasn't sure. And then Brexit happened. and all these people i mean i was shocked at the sort of xenophobia that erupted in the country and it was almost like overnight a switch happened and people felt that they could get on buses and yell at elderly black women who'd worked in the nhs for 30 odd years 
And I just saw like a real breakdown in society and I was shocked. And this was in London, you know, and I felt, okay, what can I do about this? How can I make my feelings heard? You know, I've been blessed with having this talent to make films. And that's when I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this movie. And I did a couple of passes on the script and put all my frustration and anger uh, and sadness about what I was seeing around me into the script. And so it's quite, you know, politically charged in places, but it comes from that. Come on, everyone. My family is stuck in another century. You do not know this country like I do. They will never accept you, beta. That's good to not fit in. This is our table now. I mean, if there's any one message that people can take away from the film, what would you like it to be? Well, I think, as Bruce says, all his songs are about ordinary people who struggle with life, you know. And as Bruce says, life isn't easy, life is a struggle, but there is hope. And you have to find your promised land within that. And once you find, you know, and it could be the beauty of the sun, it could be the beauty of going swimming in the river at night, you know. It could be finding love, you know, with Mary and, you know, um, Sherry and all the women, you know, he sings in his songs about. So there is hope, but he also says there is struggle. And in, and in that way, I wanted to make a movie that felt like a Bruce song. And so, yes, Jarvid's family do struggle, as we all did in the 80s. There was a lot of unemployment. There was a lot of poverty. There was a lot of sense of no future for young people. People had been on the dole for like 10 years, you know. And I think that I wanted to capture what it was like to be spat out by spinheads and have someone piss through your door, you know, and think it was a laugh just because you're an Asian family. And so I, I normally shy away from that sort of material. But in this case, I was like, no, I really need to make it very visceral and very real. How come you're so political then? Um, my parents, I guess. So what? They're activists? Uh, no. They are no society Tory traitors. <laughs> and I thought mine were bad. Someone in our family has to have principles. And then, because my life is also about joy, and our lives as a community have a lot of love in them too, I wanted to make sure I balanced all those things out because people who are not from my background and make films about us often just see one thing and that's the problems and their focus is on just the problematic. Whereas when you come from that community, you know, certainly my life is not defined by racism and nor is Safraz's, you know. We both have beautiful partners and families and kids and, you know, we have a lot of joy in our lives. So I wanted to make sure when I make a film that, you know, people aren't always putting me in boxes and that there's, you know, that, that we live very complex lives, which are very joyful at times and also sad at times. And so I end up making films like that. <laughs> you can't live your life your dad. You don't know many Pakistanis, do you? We only live for our parents. You lot will go off and leave home. We do the opposite. <laughs> Kim, now I'm a sucker for a funny, nostalgic, feel-good coming-of-aid musical. And this won me over from the word go. Did you feel the same? Well, yes and no. 
I sat there for the first 15 minutes. I hated this film. <laughs> right. And I prejudged it. And I'd gone in with this baggage, thinking it was going to be an anachronistic, 90s kind of British throwback comedy that wouldn't kind of be relevant anymore. And I was so wrong. Uh, after about 15 minutes, it won me over. And ultimately, I ended up loving it. That's brilliant. I like that when you're actually, your expectations are turned around. Because I too at the beginning was thinking, okay, slightly clunky dialogue, but the sheer enthusiasm and love and brio and, and also the music and the way the music was integrated into the story was just so absolutely joyful. But then again, I am a Springsteen fan. Mm. Are you a Bruce fan and do you think it matters? I mean, I wouldn't call myself a Springsteen fan. I'm not an, a non-fan, but, you know, I never grew up loving him. I don't love him now. To note, there is some other music in the film, aside from Springsteen. There's a hard Pet Shop Boys, lots yeah, of great stuff like absolutely. that. Yeah. But what spoke to me about the music was the feeling that you get as a teenager about the bands and the artists that you love. And I've never seen a film that I can think of that captures that connection with, with a particular band. I didn't know music could be like that. It's like Bruce knows everything I've ever felt, everything I've ever wanted. That's what you call real music. There's a lovely scene where he first, like, he bumps into his um, new mate in college who says, okay, you need to know about the boss and gives him this tape of Bruce Springsteen and says, okay, give this a listen. There's a wonderful scene during a famous thunderstorm, isn't it? Yeah. Where he finally puts um, the headphones on one of those clunky cassette players, really giving you the feel of the time, and, you know, starts playing Bruce Springsteen and he hears it and he is just transformed. And it takes you back to that moment when you first heard the artist that, you loved yeah. when you were that age and it was extraordinary I thought the way it captured that mm. and I love the idea that his life is actually changed by that and it could have been any kind of music mm. but it gives him a sense of self it gives him a sense of connection it gives him a sense of purpose he it renews his interest in writing poetry and lyrics yeah. and also what I really liked is he gets a sense of connection with someone miles away, the other side of the Atlantic, who also feels alienated and not connected to his environment, i.e. Bruce Springsteen. Mm -hmm. And the, I think the title of the original novel was Greetings from Berry Park, right? And uh, famously, Bruce Springsteen is from Asbury Park in New Jersey. And I loved that Gurinder Chadha, the director, really drew out those connections that, you know, initially you think they're poles apart. And, you know, it, it also paints a portrait of suburban racism that should obviously be long in the past, mm. um, but sadly feels topical today. It does. You know, there was a stint through the 90s and, and it was mainly through Gorinda that we had these culture clash comedies that really spoke to us. And um, it's upsetting that it's still so relevant in the wake of things like Brexit and the Trump administration that are, that are promoting division it's important to see these stories and to remind people that we have so many similarities with everybody around the world. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the East is East sprung to mind as well. I know mm. that was the 90s, but and also films like Gregory's Girl, not that that particularly tackles racism, but that sure. idea of alienation and the coming of age sense. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. It does feel topical and it feels like it's got that lovely, warm human message, which we desperately need today. Yeah. And yes, it's told with broad brushstrokes, mm -hmm. but it's told with so much passion and humanity. And actually, those broad brushstrokes, I think, really work 
They're quite powerful. Right. I admire this film's ability to make its points, to convey its messages so succinctly. It doesn't, you know, for want of a better phrase, batter you over the head with it. And that's not to say I don't think we should be battered over the head with it. I think we should, absolutely. But um, sometimes it's very effective to just put the message out there and let people soak it up, you know. Are there any scenes that stood out for you on that basis? Perhaps one of the most powerful scenes was when his father is attacked by the National Front. I mean, the National Front has a presence through this film from fairly early on, but not in a particularly aggressive way. And then this scene comes on the occasion of his daughter's wedding and it's really it really grabs you do you know i'm just getting tingles remembering yeah. the scene when you say that and that just shows how powerful it is yeah i'm really disappointed in you you hated my poems i hated that you threw them away before anyone ever read them you read them every one of them even luton is a four-letter word yeah and i can think of several more four-letter words for luton too but the point is they're raw they're distinctive. You have a responsibility to make this invisible, this absent voice heard. What do you think of the female characters? You've got sort of the, the mother, you've got the teacher played by Hayley Atwell, and um, you've got the sister Shazia, who I really liked. And then, yeah. of course, you've got the love interest. Yeah, I mean, I love the supportive role that the teacher took. She really encouraged his talent, his passion for what he wanted to do, which was writing. And I think, you know, a lot of us, if we think back, would remember a teacher that that kind of nurtured us in that way. His mother had a small role, but she really impacted me and his sister. Um, although I would have liked his sister's character to have been explored maybe a little bit more, this wasn't that story. This wasn't about her and the women in that culture. It touched on it, but it perhaps didn't explore it as much as it could have, and I wanted it to. But to go back to the mother, she was painted as this kind of meek woman to begin with by the end she becomes this really strong motherly figure that you can see is the backbone of that family and the performance was incredible yes Mira Ganatra plays yeah. the mother fantastic and yeah I agree uh, Shazia Nikita Mehta is really strong and I think that's the kind of spin-off movie you want right I'd like yeah. to see the story of her and her friends because there's a lot made of the fact that he actually doesn't know his sister that well anyway yes. and he suddenly find out that she's going to these kind of daytime mm. raves really where yeah. they play Bangra and dress in amazing Which costumes awesome. with yeah. makeup on and you think wow this is incredible and that's part of his journey to embracing um, his culture because the start of the film he's really kicking against it right and he wants to break away and by the end of the film we, we get a happy ending of course it's a comedy yeah I mean this is no spoiler to say there's a happy ending it's, it's mm. a very um, uplifting joyful film Eliza's very picky on who she brings home the more provocative the better what's provocative about Javed I want to be a writer writing isn't a job I need you to do more I can't wait to get away from here Let's talk a bit about how the music is incorporated. There are some song and dance numbers. Well, I say song and dance, it's more like the music is playing and they're dancing or skipping down the street sure. to it. Yeah. Um, a little bit of sort of magic realism almost. Yeah, I mean, that's how I took it. And, you know, it's a bit of wish fulfillment. It's a bit, you, we have to remember that this is memoir or it comes from his memoir. And we don't know how much of this is how I may have acted in that situation had I had the benefit of hindsight and 
a little bit of that comes through in these. They don't necessarily feel real. They feel um, like it's come from his imagination, maybe. And I would have liked to have seen some more overt markers of magic realism to to demarcate these moments because one of the criticisms I heard from several people was there were some very cheesy moments in there and the market moment, the market. Right, Rob Brydon. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I think Rob Brydon, much as I love him, is probably responsible for some of the cheesiest <laughs> moments in this film or partaking in some of the cheesiest moments. Yeah. I mean, who do you think this film is going to appeal to? That is a good question because, as I say, I mean, I went into it thinking, I'm not sure I'm going to like this. And then my opinion was completely turned around. I'd like to think everybody would want to go and see this. And I think they should see it. But who's going to walk through the door? I think maybe an older crowd, maybe a crowd that did love 90s British comedies, Richard Curtis, you know. Yeah, that's an interesting comparison, Richard Curtis. I hadn't thought of that. I mean, mm. perhaps, you know, she's like a more like a female ethnic Richard Curtis. That's an insulting thing to say in a way because I actually think she's much better because I'm not a huge Agreed. fan of Richard Curtis. But he's got the common touch mm. and he also celebrates being unified in Britain. Yeah. And I, I do like what he's trying to say with his films because they have a nice positive message. And I think Gurinder's trying to say something similar in many ways, albeit from a different perspective, yeah. that we should all be happy and work together and all, all those yeah. kind of you know nice peace and love cliches but if a film tells those well and you come out mm. smiling then maybe it's worked yeah yeah no interestingly I had cause recently to revisit the breakfast club I discussed it at a panel at San Diego comic-con actually but there were themes in that that uh, resonated with this film although there, there's no ethnic diversity in the breakfast club it's a film that celebrates differences, but at the same time promotes unity. And this does exactly the same. They're both set in the 80s as well. so <laughs> That's true. And this is probably somewhere more woke being made now. <laughs> yeah. I, I, watched, I rewatched The Breakfast Club and I did have some issues from a feminist perspective, but I oh. still absolutely <laughs> love it. You're talking about Ali Sheedy specifically. Oh, yes, yes. yeah, And um, what's he called? Um, Judd Nelson. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yes, yeah. Who I obviously sure. was madly in love with then, but yeah. now I'm not so sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting comparison. So basically anyone who's up for a bit of nostalgia, 80s nostalgia, who loves Springsteen, who loves music yeah, and just yeah. remembers how it feels to have your life transformed by music when you're feeling like a bit of a misfit at school. And I thought a really mm. good strong central performance as well. Oh, absolutely. When he delivers that speech at the end, particularly, I mean, throughout, I was moved by him and impressed by him and charmed by him. But that speech at the end, which had the potential to spill over into mega cheese was so heartfelt in its delivery and I'm not ashamed to say it made me well up. <laughs> Definitely. I, I mean, it's, it, it's designed to make you well up, but it does it very well. So yeah. Vivek Kalvar, thumbs up for him. I think he was yeah. really good. So I think in general, we're going to say big thumbs up for Blinded by the Light. Definitely. Big Great. thumbs up from me. Good stuff. Thank you very much, Kim, for joining us to discuss it. Thanks, Anna. Stop doubting. Keep writing. My dad doesn't even know I'm doing English. He thinks I'm doing economics. This is about what you want. You have a gift, Javid. You could be a writer if you put the work in. 
I remember going to um, a BFI talk. It was a panel about feminism a few years ago, and you're talking about being a female filmmaker. Yeah. And you were telling some absolutely shocking stories about the sort of insubordination of junior male crew members. Yeah. Um, when you were starting out as a director, do you want to speak a bit to that? I can't remember. What was I saying? Well, you were saying. <laughs> I'm glad that it was in the past now in your mind. Yeah. You were saying something like that, you know, a grip or someone would, would just sort of question your decisions and sort of act as if you weren't actually qualified to be the boss. Yes, there was. Um, I did have that when I started out. I don't have it anymore. Um, when I first started out, I did work on a couple of things, you know, where I had crews who somehow didn't think that I was the person of authority that I should be as a director. And so if I wanted something that they didn't agree with, they didn't uh, want to engage with that. And I remember there was, um, I did a two-part TV drama after Bargy on the Beach, and I felt that the uh, camera operator was, you know, moving the camera too much. And, and I questioned him on this. And he said he was adjusting. And I said, yeah, okay, but it's very noticeable. And he just locked the camera off then and said, okay, well, I won't do anything. And he locked it. And I thought, mm, okay. And I said, okay, well, then obviously let's do a take. But if it's unusable, you'll have to just do it again, you know. So it was things like that. And then uh, I have to say, you know, they were on um, another project, you know, I was having a hard time simply because I was also new, you know, uh, to, to filmmaking. And so I was learning on the job. So it was must have been hard for my crew as well at that time. But there was a DP who was getting very, very impatient with me. And, you know, I wouldn't say bullying because we were still getting through it but you know he was uh I was going by instinct with what I needed and on this one occasion he was like you know let's just do this this and get it done kind of attitude and I kind of was like okay what shall I do because see with women you don't want to create conflict right yeah exactly that's our default mechanism and so at that point I was like oh what shall I do and I was getting a bit weepy, actually, because I was tired as well. It was towards the end of the shoot. And this lovely, lovely, lovely man who I will never forget, his name is Kenny Sykes. He's a gaffer, and he used to have a company called Bell Media in uh, Manchester, I think. And Ken Sykes saw me starting to get a bit wobbly, and he came over to me and he said, I need to talk to you about something. And he took me away and we went behind this area where there was nobody. And he took my hand and he said, don't you dare give him or anyone the satisfaction of seeing you cry. Don't you dare. And he said, I'm watching you. You're doing a great job. And of course, I started bawling. Because uh, <laughs> he was point, being nice. And, he was being nice. Oh, God. and <laughs> Ken said, he took my hand and he said, I won't have it. You're doing such a great job. Yeah, he's being a bit of a bully, but you know what you're doing. So I was like, I'm tearing up now thinking about Aww. it. So good Ken. Good old Ken. So Kenny just sort of like put me back together and said, now just go for it, Gorinda. <laughs> and like, and I was like, oh, okay, Ken. And then I went back out and that was it. Finished the shoot. But I've never forgotten him. Well, allies we need as feminists, yes. as women, don't we? Yes, and, you know, absolutely. I mean, that's what we're sort of celebrating on Girls on Film, not just women who help each other, but men who are on board with it and, yeah. you know, encourage us. And now, you know, 
men line up to work with me, you know, because they like the idea of working with someone who has a distinct look and a distinct vision and does different things. You know, I love the DPs I've been working with of late. They're wonderful. Ben Smithard, you know, he's like a very, very close friend of mine now. You know, we're so intimate. He's a bit grumpy with his crew, but he's never grumpy with me, you know. And we have a laugh. And I think that it does come full circle, you know. I feel that, you know, we do have to earn our our status and sometimes we have to work a bit harder to earn that status but I think once we have it you know once we've proved ourselves I think we are living in a world now where those sort of things would not happen again. Yeah I mean you're obviously very established but for people coming through do you think the Time's Up movement has changed things for any women working in film? Yeah I I think it has and I think the most important thing for any director whether you're a man or a woman is to really know your stuff, you know, know, always know why you're telling the story you're telling. Always know why you're doing this particular scene. Because when you do, then you've taken ownership and control of everything. And what there isn't room for is any hesitancy. And of course, being a director, you know, and this is something no one really told me at the beginning, but being a director, it means you will get asked a hundred questions a minute, you know. And so unless you are really, really on top of what you're shooting at that particular time, at that moment, you know, on that location with those actors, you will go off in all different directions. So I think you have to so be on top of your game and the story you're telling. Well, I feel like you're very on top of your game with Blinded by the Light. Thank you. (laughs) Looking back on your work, how does it feel that it fits into your canon? Oh, I think this is my best film to date, definitely, as a director. I think it's all come together for me in this. Um, I think, you know, taking a film about writing words, you know, and making it cinematic was a big challenge. Having the pressure of Bruce and his legacy, that was a challenge. And also wanting to tell a story that that has a message you know for today's world that is relevant to today there's a reason why this film has been made there's a reason why this film is there yes to entertain you and move you and touch you but it's also there to say hey there's dangerous stuff going out around us just be warned you know and so i hope it empowers people to say we well, don't want to go back to that time. Well, I've been telling everyone to see it. I'm telling the listeners to see it. Um, <laughs> and I actually, very um, fortuitously, I was at Stand and Calling Festival this weekend, and on Sunday they had the She Street Band playing. Oh, Do you know these? Yes. So it's a seven-piece all-female Bruce Springsteen oh. tribute band. I love it. The the world's only one, yes. as you can imagine. And yeah. I was going, you've got to see this film. So, yeah, and they're excited about seeing it. Yeah, I'd love to see them. I haven't seen them live. Well, it's told, to you know, girls on film, you know, girls yeah, playing Bruce Springsteen. And what of the future, um, not just with this film, but your next project? Well, I have had a very busy year with making the movie and also Beecham House, six hours of drama. And I'm pretty exhausted, as you can hear in my voice. (laughs) And I want to really enjoy a little bit of the fruits of my labour now, I think. I'm exhausted. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, let's see what else is happening. I'm open to the uh, universe, what comes my way. Um... And I've, I enjoyed doing the TV series. I did, so I want to do more. And I'm also working on 
a couple of scripts. You know, one is a superhero movie that will have my stamp on it with a female. Fantastic. Uh, Can you tell us any more about that? No. Uh, (laughs) I want to know. It's just, it's an idea I had as an origin story. And, uh, uh, but I want to work with somebody who is really from that world of, you know, superheroes and comic books. That's not my world. So I do want to collaborate with another writer on that. So if anyone is listening and that's their world please write to me at my uh, work email which is info at benditnetworks.com i'd love it if a girls on film listener answers and it all happens yeah, that could, this could be fate that would be amazing yeah well there are so yeah. many younger people out there who are writing and who i don't get to come into contact with but i do have very high standards i do demand a three-act structure with a proper inciting incident quite right <laughs> quite right at and the I, very yeah, least i do i mean i will read scripts so long as people have written them according to robert mckee because i feel that that is that separates people who uh, like just want to be script writers to people who really know their stuff you know yeah. and i still follow that that method my three act structures are always pretty tight and that's how i read scripts does it have a good three act structure and then i'm also working on another project right now which has come to me very fortuitously but it's very early days but it's also set in the world of music but it's about a very significant band where within it members uh, don't talk to each other so I've uh, some members and so I've met one of the members and I've said I I will do this project so long as I can heal the rift between you all because if I can't heal the rift between you then then I'm not the person to make this and what have, what have they said he started crying oh the, my the, goodness the, the artist started crying and said that's what I want but I don't know how to do it I've and got some like, ideas. <laughs> I was like, let me help you, mate. <laughs> but this is a big band, but I can't really say yet. But it will be announced, I'm sure, at some point. I feel like it might be Oasis. Uh, no, it isn't. <laughs> okay, <laughs> someone else. Look, I mean, the listing people who've fallen out in bands could go oh, on for quite exactly, some time. Exactly, I know. That's a very careful like, with my words, you <laughs> yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. Always the storyteller. <laughs> Get you excited. I know, that absolutely. I'm on the that, edge that, of my seat now. That was my inciting incident there. <laughs> very good. I'm waiting for the rest of the three-act structure. Now. But yeah. um, good. thank you so much for joining Girls on Film. Best you. of luck with all that and best of luck with Blinded by the Light. Um, we're going to tell everyone to see it. It's such a strong piece of work. Thank and you. It tells a very important message. Thank you. Bruce sings it's about not letting the hardness of the world stop you from letting the best of you slip away. I hope to build a bridge to my ambitions, but not a wall between my family and me. The music, the possibilities, I want to taste it all for myself. Blinded by the Light is in UK cinemas on Friday the 9th of August. Do come see us at our next live episode. We'll be recording on Tuesday, September the 3rd at home in Manchester. Our guests will be Ashanti Omkar and Dr Kirsty Fairclough and we'll also be joined by Wad Al-Khatib from Channel 4 News. She's made a film called Force Sama. Go to homemcr.org for tickets, which are £6 or £5 for concessions. 
We are also hitting the London Podcast Festival on Thursday the 12th of September. That's at King's Place in King's Cross. If you're London-based, do come and see us. It's going to be really fun. Tickets start at £9.50 or you can save 15% when you book three or more. So why not book Girls on Film alongside Kermode on Film or the Empire Film Podcast or 90 Minutes or Less. There's loads of great podcasts. You can make a weekend of it. We're on Thursday the 12th of September. Go to kingsplace.co.uk for tickets. Girls on Film is an HLA production produced by Hedda Archbold and Jane Long. Jesus, Shazia. You look like a Pakistani Madonna.